Are you scared, Connor? <laughs> no, Cousin Dougal, I'm not. <laughs> Don't talk nonsense, man. I peed my kilt the first time I went into battle. Aye, <laughs> oh, Angus pees his kilt all the time. <laughs> everybody welcome back to highlander rewatched this is part two of our ongoing podcast series discussing the original highlander motion picture so if you haven't heard part one yet just go back on your podcast app or on soundcloud or wherever you're listening and listen to part one of the series first where we talk a lot about the behind the scenes info on the cast the crew and how we got into highlander i'm one of your rewatchers i'm keith this is kyle i'm another one of your rewatchers and this is Eamon. And this podcast is all about our love of all things Highlander. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes or any major podcasting app and join us, your rewatchers, as we revisit the Highlander motion pictures, the series, books, comics, video games, and more. Okay, let's get back into part two of our discussion of Highlander, the motion picture. So after this fight, the main character, who we, we don't know anything about yet. Zero. Zero, zero about him. He yep. stuffs his sword into like a, uh, like a, a metal grate. That's yeah, like he hears sirens and he's like, uh-oh. Yes. Um, so he ditches the sword yeah. and he runs off. And then mm-hmm. the camera pans up and it's this really awesome transition where it goes kind of through the ceiling of the garage. On the other side, it is the Scottish Highlands. Yep. Um, this is awesome. I think this it, is... This is, a, I think, a fantastic opening to a movie. This is so good. Like, it's visually arresting. It's really cool. I'm, like, very into it. I think I remembered how well shot and kind of executed a lot of the technical aspects of this movie were. And that's something I got, a, like, a pretty hearty appreciation for these last two times. Yeah, sure. I good. But I also don't think I had ever stopped and think tried to think about it from a position of someone with no information before. And yeah. I think that's something that's, like, a little confusing. So we're in 1536 in scotland so this is on location uh much like the the tv show we talked a lot about when the tv show moves from like vancouver or seacouver in the show to paris like it gets a lot better like i think all this scotland like on location stuff is fantastic it's like the costuming is great like Mm -hmm. the the extras all look awesome yeah Um, if if they weren't shooting on location if these were sets or something like i don't think this movie would have nearly the impact that it does like these flashbacks really add i think a lot of depth to it but. yeah yeah and to speak to what you said about the madison square garden shots like they pack these shots yeah. like they do yeah. not skimp on extras like no. a lot of movies especially a kind of independent movie like this would feel kind of empty a lot of times mm-hmm. yeah not a thing that this movie yeah. suffers from like, like things are packed shots are dense it's right. great especially because it's not a real wrestling match that's the thing that's great like it's not like they just brought the camera crew and were like let's get some pickup shots you yeah know, of like a real crowd like they brought all those people are there for this movie like which is really cool yeah which if these were real wrestling fans i'd be especially terrified but (laughs) yeah great extras in that wrestling thing i know we're going backwards a little bit but like the one dude with like the hockey mask (laughs) had like paint on it and shit it was really good so this is filmed at a real castle in scotland uh and speaking of the extras apparently a lot of them were i think students at the university of edinburgh 
Huh. Oh, uh, neat. And I guess they were great extras because since they were young students, they all had long hair. Ah, that's uh, awesome. And like oh, that's perfect. And stuff. So yeah. they, were, they were able to be used. And I think they got yeah. paid like 10 bucks a day nice. to be there. And a lot of scotch. Uh, Ooh. So, yeah. That sounds good. So we are, we are uh, watching this, this line of uh, Scotsmen chanting, McLeod! And we know our hero's name is McLeod. So if you're paying attention, maybe you make that connection. Yeah, Why which not? also we now get to hear the fourth and fifth words from <laughs> yeah. Christopher Lambert, which are the word McLeod. Yep. <laughs> uh, and we get like this, like, rather than doing like a title card or something like that, they have this kind of priest who's leading this group of men off to battle. Say, right. With a like, giant, and this, with yeah, a with, giant cross in his yeah. hands. So another, this is our, I guess, second, uh, like, cross image in the, in the past, like, 30 seconds, really. Hmm. Yeah. And he, he says, like, in this year of our Lord, 1536. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Also, there's a bagpipe player who looks like Matt Walsh. <laughs> like, it's a dead ringer. Like, I had to pause and be like, holy shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, victory to the Clan McLeod. And someone, his cousin, asks him if he's scared. His cousin, Dougal. Dougal. <laughs> Dougal. I don't Dougal know and, and his best friend, Angus. Yeah. yeah. Dougal and Angus. Yeah, Connor's right-hand man. I was going to say, uh, Dougal asks if Connor's scared. And he says no. And then Angus says... Dougal pees his kilt all the time? Is that No, Angus says, I, I peed my kilt my first time in right. battle. And Dougal responds, he pees his kilt all the time. Yeah, I thought that was really that funny. That was funny. Yeah. So then uh, this woman comes up, who we later find out her name is Kate, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember when they actually mention her name. I think it's mentioned at some point. They do. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, so Kate comes up and I guess gives him some flowers, right? Mm-hmm. And they and they smooch. I don't know if they're like married or. I'm assuming it's like a girlfriend. or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, this is also cut from the U.S. version. Huh. This this like so there's the interaction with Dougal and Angus, and then it just leaps forward after that. Uh, this is again an important thing because I think later we'll find out she kind of disavows and Connor. Yeah, yeah and uh, it's a it's like hard to watch. It's, it's really harsh, yeah. and it's like yeah. it's not that bad unless like this part you find here. out that yeah. like they used to be in love like yeah. and it's like oh like this is just some like asshole <laughs> like yeah. telling yeah. you you're a devil person like uh this 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 makes it a lot better so so uh also another uh, christian image in the background uh the cross on top of the uh, church is on fire uh which i thought was interesting and actually apparently burning crosses in scotland were a way to rally the troops so people would bring a burning cross to like a village or a clan and say like that was the call to arms was a burning cross oh like, like go get your sword like go get your sword wow. is the burning cross i didn't so, notice that That's yeah which cool. i thought was yeah. cool like again it's another christian image but also it is a like kind of historically accurate little tidbit that's thrown mm. in there which is pretty cool they don't exactly say it right now they say they kind of allude to what this is later they're about to go fight a battle against a rival clan the phrases which we're about to see yeah yeah so the next scene is i guess like right before the battle starts uh there's a mysterious dark figure on a mountain yeah who Mm -hmm. looks so goddamn badass this skull helm he's wearing he's wearing like i don't even know what like a tiger skull for a helmet it looks like a cat skull because it's got like fangs yeah um i will say it's a dragon i don't think it's a real skull i think it is kind of like a fabricated thing but i'll get into more of the dragon stuff later Uh. yeah i agree that it if it was a real thing it's probably a cat but I buy into your <laughs> I buy into your notion that it might be of a some fantasy creature. Yeah. It's a really cool, like scary suit of armor. Yeah, he's yeah. got like skulls on the shoulder pads, it's got like this body framed, like it's his breastplate has abs. Yeah, and, and uh so uh I I'll mention <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 
the villain this is the this as we assume we'll find out is the villain of the story the kurgan who we only see kind of in the background with more lightning of course mm -hmm. uh as you mentioned his his armor is all skulls but i think there's another bit of kind of imagery here which is if you look closely his armor is actually snakeskin which mm. i thought is interesting because again like in the bible the snake is typically the devil or there's this this other like element which is this dragon element which i think is maybe a little more prevalent for the kurgan more than the snake devil thing uh, but I think that's kind of what's going on here. So I thought there was this interesting dynamic if we view it as this kind of Christian allegory. is like if Connor's the good, Kurgan is the, the devil in this scenario, which is exemplified by being a reptile or whatever. Which, again, I will advance the position that <laughs> Connor is not the good. He, he's the okay. <laughs> uh, so standing with the Kurgan is uh, Murdoch, who I guess is the leader of this rival clan, and they have a deal. Is one called Connor among them. I. Remember our agreement, Murdoch. The boy is mine. It's begun. Death to the McClough! So yeah, it's interesting that this this person is after Connor. Like he knows who he is, even though the audience doesn't at this point. We we should pause on this for a second, right? Because at this point, Connor does not know that he's immortal. He doesn't know anything. But apparently, the villain of the story does. Not only that, like he's known. Like he's somehow arranged this situation so he can fight him. Like he has a lot of information. Right. Like he is not part of this clan, the the Frasers or whatever. Like he he is a third party that is like antagonizing this battle, presumably, only right. for the goal of I just need a reason to face him, right, or to draw him out or whatever. So this is very odd. It's like mm -hmm. how does he know? And then later, Sean Connery's character Ramirez also knows, right, and like specifically seeks out Connor again. For the purpose of helping him. What is going on here? Like, how do people know about this? And obviously, you know, this is, what, 1536, so the Kurgan isn't stalking Connor on Facebook or anything like that. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Connor, Connor didn't write, lol, chopped my hand <laughs> off and it grew back. Yeah. <laughs> like, LOL. Like, that didn't happen. Right. So it, it, it confused me, knowing now what I know about Highlander, just season one even. Right. I'm like... Wait, what? Like, how How does he know about Connor? Yeah, again, Connor? like you said, Kyle, like, there's a lot more magical, like, it's like, I guess you just take it for granted. Like, it's like, okay, like, that's fine. He knows. Yeah. So. yeah. Which I'm happy to do, but it is just, like, a little jarring in terms of the, because also we don't have a window into the people who are having these insights. Like, we never hear Connor say, like, oh, I just know something. Right. Like, we never get him to explaining even a magical non-explanation never comes yeah it's just, just no explanation yeah ever. it's just third parties have this information and you just you just go with it and we should revisit this issue when it comes up on the show because there are points in the show where they deal with people who are kind of on the cusp of becoming immortal and we should refer back to this when we get there totally. um, so we can contrast the two approaches but it's interesting mm -hmm. yeah so the battle commences and uh connor's trying to you know get his fight on and <laughs> basically nobody everybody's avoiding him nobody is facing him and he's kind of disappointed by this and this whole fight scene again just talking about like the information deficit that we have right now did anyone look at the banners no, no. i noticed they were there and i didn't, yeah. I didn't pay too much mind so unless i'm understanding this wrong the phrases banner is like a green border with three like white 
roses on it. That appears to be their banner. I'm pretty sure the McLeod banner is like a flaming mountain with cow skulls on it. Wow. I'm pretty sure the way they shoot it, I don't know if it's just confusing and that's supposed to be the rival clan. So that would make more but sense. Again, yeah. we don't know, just trying to take myself out of this and realize I don't know who Mac is at this point. If I see two armies meeting and someone just says, who's the good guy? Flaming cow skulls or, <laughs> excuse me, flaming mountain with cow skull or white roses. I'm saying white roses. Right. Yeah. I don't know if it's just confusing the way that's shot and it's yeah. supposed to be the phrases. I'm going to have to look at that. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense that it would be the other way around. Yeah. Huh. But again, like, this is another weird image that's like, are we dealing with the good guy? Are we supposed to be actually thinking Connor's a hero? I was also going to say, I mean, just, you, you mentioned these, like, extreme images that you see. That's, I think, a big, like, music video takeaway from this movie. It's like, music videos have just, like, images thrown at you. Uh, and that was actually one of Russell McKay's, like, contributions to the genre was, like, music videos earlier on were just, like, footage, basically, of a band playing. But he was one of, like, the forerunners to, like, introduce some abstraction to the whole idea. And it's like, oh, can we put a, na- a new narrative on top of this just through imagery? And I feel like there's a lot of just very strong images in this movie just for the sake of imagery. So... The Kurgan, who we later find out his name, we don't know his name yet. The we, mysterious Dark Knight, yeah, uh, or the Dark Knight, the Knight, which is actually the original name, I believe, of the the yeah, script. The Knight, uh, yeah, named after him, I guess, right? And sort of bad, sort of bad, yeah. and also uh, the <laughs> which was sword of bad, three three separate words. So when you said it fast, it was sort, sort of, of bad. bad right? mm. <laughs> uh, the prequel to Super Bad. Ooh. Uh, and also, I think this movie was at some point known as Shadow Clan. Yeah, I, I read that somewhere. Which is kind of a fun, I think that's a fun... Yeah, it's like this shadow organization of yeah. people fighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Fight club. I love this battle scene. Yeah. Because of how unglamorous it yep. is. Yeah, it's really It good. is, like, just speaking to the, the notion of this PTSD almost kind of theme that you raised, this is savage. Yep. Yeah. Like, there are, like, there's one scene where two guys drown a third guy, like, yeah. in a puddle. Yeah. Like, they literally kill this guy with mud. At yeah. one point, the priest... Yeah, that we that's see my favorite ...cuts a part. dude's throat. Yep. And, <laughs> and he's like, and forgive me, my son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really good battle. Yeah. yeah. It's good. And again, the costuming is great. Like, this feels bigger than the movie's budget does. Yes. They're carving out something here, because this is fantasy, but it's not... It's got this very, even this scene has this very 80s feel. Like, this isn't glamorous fantasy. Like, just speaking to, you know, the writer, he wasn't just like, oh, what a magical time. He's like, yeah, this guy, when he rode into battle, had to pee in that. Like, because yeah. <laughs> he couldn't take it off. Like, right. Although, actually, he probably wouldn't have because the kilt wasn't invented yet. <laughs> so, actually, I was looking this up. The uh, If this fight was, like, real at this point, and what was, what's your 15? 1536. 1537. All of these people would just be naked. Probably not even fighting with swords, but just big sticks and uh, that would kind of be what's going on here. What? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the kilt wasn't invented until 1720. So a lot of, the, like, the, I guess it was tradition to go into battle nude. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's I guess, what the historically accurate Highlander would look like. Well, I can see why they didn't show that. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> Maybe just change the year? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so the fight is really awesome, but then eventually the villain and the hero meet on the battlefield. This guy is huge. The Kurgan Clancy Brown is a, a monster of a man, uh, and he instantly takes down Connor. He's. I wish there was at least a little bit of a fight here. Yeah. Not much, but like... 
He's yeah, like, you don't get much info here. Like, no. there's no interaction. It's just like he's like, "I'll fight you." Stab through the heart. Right? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't even get like one one parry in. Like, no. he just gets stabbed. Well, he's scared shitless of the Kurgan, which of course you would be. Right. He's just like, "Holy mother of God!" or something right. like that when he sees him roll up on his black stallion. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk about this a little bit again from maybe this Christian reading. We're just confronted with these two images, which is previously we've seen Connor pose in a Christ position and some Christ imagery on his side. And then we've seen this Kurgan character with skulls, death, snakeskin, dragon imagery. So it's like, all right, there are these two kind of classic mythological views of good and evil here. After he incapacitates McLeod and he's going to take his head, which is the only way to kill an immortal, uh, he says there can be only one. And so I I was actually kind of wondering if this is, again, this religious idea of, like, are there two deities ba- battling each other out? And there there can't be one kind of god. Like, there, there are these two ideas here. And so that the, the phrase there can be only one could be interpreted that way. Um, I have another way to interpret it, but I won't get to that till about an hour and 51 minutes into this movie, hmm. which is when it ends. But <laughs> So it's literally like this god versus the devil battle. Exactly. Hmm. My biggest problem with this interpretation, sure. just to lay it out now, Fine. is Connor is not good enough. <laughs> I, I, I have this, like, with this doesn't well. feel like a good versus evil battle because I'm just not convinced that he's that good of a guy. Yeah, we haven't seen much from him yet other than them maybe telling us he's good. Or just... We, they haven't even told us he's good. They've, they just don't, show, they've just shown us an extreme evil, presumably. Yeah. By, yes. like, skulls and death and stuff. So by, by de facto, he's, like, good. Yeah, so just to pause again on this whole plan for a second that the Kurgan has to fight Connor, I'm going to go ahead and say that the worst place for an immortal fight is a 16th century battlefield, <laughs> right? Because you've got, presumably, a bunch of drunk clansmen because also, back in the day, it was very much so a tradition to get hammered before you fought. Because, you know, how else would you be willing to walk into a fight and get stabbed? Which these extras were definitely doing. Uh, yeah. On yeah. the commentary, they talked about how, again, they weren't paid much. They were all young kids. Uh, they would just drink a bottle of scotch, get drunk, and then wake up the next morning at five to work. <laughs> so they were all kind of plastered here. So literally you're surrounded by people with swords. And not just any kind of swords, like giant, like two-handed <laughs> swords. There is a very non-zero chance someone's going to attempt to cut your head off at some point. Like, you might lose your head just naturally to a mortal on this fight scene. Especially if you stop for a second and have to have this intense immortal orgasm in the middle of this field. Like, yeah. if he successfully takes yeah. Connor's head, he's just going to be sitting there like, uh, well, all of his best friends are around you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> might just be like, oh, let's cut his head off. Because yeah. yep. that's a thing that we might want to do. Right. Also, weird side note, this is the only fight that really goes on where there are no artificial structures around. Like, literally zero. Would the hillside have exploded? What would have happened? <laughs> yeah. Like, but then again, just feeding into this thing, it's almost as though the environment knows whether or not a fight is going to resolve. Yeah. Like, there's this preordained quality to it. Like, in some sense, viewing it in the context of this movie, the environment is not reactive enough for there to be a quickening now. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, some weird thoughts on that. But I like I like the thoughts a, on that. Yeah, those I, are all great. I, I really points, actually yeah. like the electric like the electricity element of 
this stuff is, I think, really kind of interesting. Like, I think they could have even played it up more. Like, I'm a big David Lynch fan. David Lynch and Electricity go together like American cheese and apple pie. He, so that it's kind of weird, but some people really like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, he, he, he uses, like, electrical stuff in his movies, interestingly. Like, there's hums and, like, there's, there's always these, like, tones in the background. And, like, I feel like if they had incorporated, like, a little Lynchian, like, element to this, like, it could have been really cool, like, if Connor interacted with just the environment and... Things kind of hummed a little bit. Like, there was just kind of an odd kind of magical quality to their presence. So, the Kurgan does not take Connor's head. Because his friends all tackle <laughs> tackle him. They literally yeah. drop their swords yeah. to tackle him. <laughs> yeah. You see Angus, he, like, houses a guy, drops his sword, and tackles the Kurgan. It's like, you know, you might want that when you fight, when you go try to attack the hugest dude on the yeah. battlefield. <laughs> it's a little odd. But again, right. it's neat. Like, they all freak out. Yeah. This is another moment that makes the subsequent betrayal when people reject Connor more poignant. Right. Because this freakout moment that they have when they think their friend has just been killed, like, really seals that that they have a real relationship. Definitely. Like, they're on a battlefield and they drop everything to go help. To help help him. Yeah, totally. And I, I like the line that uh, the Kurgan says as he's being, like, drug away, which is, like, we'll meet another time. Another McLeod. time, McLeod. Which I, th- I think is nice because yeah. it has, like, a kind of extra meaning, which is, like, not just, like, a little bit. Like, literally another time period, which yeah. I think is a fun little just uh, nuance of that line. Which is mm-hmm. cool. So Connor is lying, essentially dying on the battlefield. And then the camera pulls away from him. Uh, did anyone notice the film quality here changes drastically? <laughs> yeah. It gets, like, extremely grainy. And yeah. so the camera pulls back, and then it uh, the transition back to the present is through his eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because... And I, I was, like, when I watched it, I was like, what's wrong with the video quality here? Like, I, like, put in the DVDs of the other version. Like, I was like, are, is this the same in every version? It is. And it's because, I guess, they were having trouble with the editing process, like, getting this transition to work, like, to pull out of his eye. Uh, so Russell McKay, he took it to, like, his music video crew to like handle some editing and so they were able to do it so they used like a rough cut of the film and this was edited on video not film so it actually goes to like video stock wow (laughs) and then it goes back to film so that's why it looks a little different and if you're not familiar of course we're in 2016 where I don't know how many of our listeners even remember what a VCR is. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, vi- what video is? It, it's a it's a magnetic version of film. It's a little different, has a different grain, sound quality is different. Like, um, and also most important for these distinctions, it's very clean and successful to go from film to kind of HD quality production. Absolutely, but it's very difficult when you have things that are shot on video. To make them HD quality. It's, it's just impossible. Impo- it, it imposes a hard ceiling on it. No, like, if you have something like, uh, what, like, 70 millimeter film has, like, a, I don't know, I think it's, like, a 6K resolution, which is, like, insane quality. Like, uh, where video is, like, no, nothing compared to that. Like, So there's almost no way to clean this up and make it look good. Yeah, so the thing that makes it really rough, when you see a lot of, like, 80s, 90s TV a lot of that stuff was shot straight to video. So if you're trying to watch that on like a Blu-ray or something like that now, it's really not going to look that much better because no. they can't, it was shot on video, they can't salvage it. Mm-hmm. Whereas things that were shot on film, see, so there's almost this weird paradox where things like the original Star Trek that were shot in the 60s, now when they put them on Blu-ray, look so much better than things shot way later. Right. Because. Yeah, it's film. Because it's film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's more expensive and harder to do, but. I think worth it. And it, it looks different, too. Like, there's a depth of field thing that's, de- like, video can't capture that. Like, whatever. We're getting into technical shit here. <laughs> <laughs> this is 
Hey rewatchers, if you're into what you're listening to, take a second, go on iTunes and rate us. That's right, give us uh, five stars on iTunes. That way other rewatchers can join the conversation, hear what you have to say, and while you're at it, subscribe. We're now back in 1985, as it were, when this movie was filmed. Which I, and I, also where it takes place. Right, I actually... When it takes place. Yeah, uh, the movie was released in 86. I was kind of wondering, did this movie sit on a shelf longer than intended because of the 1985 references? Like, they are constantly referring to it being 1985. Hmm. But the movie was released in 86. And, like, typically when when you make a movie, you kind of know when it's going to come out. So you... You know what I mean? When it's only a year difference, I wouldn't read that much into it. Because, Hmm. I mean, it's not uncommon, especially in this era, to take more than a year to make a movie. No. But they didn't take long to make this movie. It was quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we're back in 1985, mm-hmm. and Connor is fleeing this Madison Square lot, yeah. Garden in his like Aston Martin for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand. He's like really booking it out of there. Like, he, I think the best move would have been just to go back to his seat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like hang in the parking garage. Like you're literally surrounded by like tens of thousands of people and instead he like flees in the most conspicuous way possible (laughs) like he's not even casually leaving no he is flooring it (laughs) out of there well the other thing is the cops are on their way to this place already why because of the because of the quickening or what we're calling the quickening the sprinklers do go off which we didn't mention uh so is it it, did a fire alarm get set off probably well he hits that he hits that pipe in the sword fight which i think is what causes the sprinklers to go off Not to rewind too much. Yeah. So, especially because of that moment, at one point, Mac just makes an unforced error. Like, he is swinging his swords down and just hits a pipe. And just, like, And, like, ends up getting housed. Like, he gets, like, kicked or, like, Vecini gets away or whatever whatever the situation is. So, what was your opinion at this point in the movie in terms of, like, we're watching our action hero, Connor McCloud, he's pretty ineffective. Like, he's not, like, a badass. You know what I mean? Like, just comparing him to Adrian Paul, there's no question at any point when you're seeing Highlander, like, Adrian Paul is, like, a fit fighting machine. Yeah. Like, he's... He's super physical. Like, there's, there's yeah. a martial arts element that's in the Highlander series that is not apparent in this at all I mean, even a little bit. no yeah like and the way he fights is like so kind of like rough and tumble like he doesn't like seem there we have a training montage later but he doesn't seem like hyper trained yeah he gets like beaten up a lot yeah he, the we've seen him be stabbed already <laughs> like we've seen him been brutally stabbed we've seen him lose his sword we've seen him have these like unforced errors in the fight i was sitting there at this point thinking like this guy is not a badass at all like <laughs> yeah. this guy is like kind of an ordinary joe and like something about his appearance too feeds into that oh like, yeah his he appearance works is the very show. ordinary yeah, yeah. His, his white tennis sneakers yeah. his white jeans tennis, his yeah. jeans that are too long his ill-fitting trench coat his yeah. trench coat is so rumpled yeah. <laughs> and he has five o'clock shadow like he Through needs a shave movie. yeah i was left my impression of him is that he's like struggling to survive <laughs> <laughs> yeah really at this point in the movie Maybe. I don't know. I was just curious what your well. I thought like when he was faced with Facil, he did seem like pretty calm. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Like he was like, all right, this is going to go down. He, he seemed ready. Yeah, he never seems panicked, even when yeah. he's like hiding behind the car. Like he doesn't seem like he's like, yeah. Lost he's got a school. plan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he is. Uh, he is I would a never little... say Connor McCloud is a badass. The most yeah. badass thing about no. him is his no. stare. Yeah, that's a badass stare. Yeah. yeah it but is. other than it that, is. like, I don't know that we see him do anything that physical or like that impressive that you're like, this man no. is like super threatening. In yeah. That regard. I don't know if I. I never read that much into it. Like I just kind of figured, like, well. It's a low budget kind of movie. Choreography is kind of done kind of quick. You know what I mean? Like uh, those sort of things. Uh, but no, to, but to, I saw like when you see the Kurgan and Facile, even, even Facile, I'm like these are dangerous yeah. people. Right. Like these are highly trained dangerous people, and maybe even the backflips feed into that. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Like they are warriors. When I see Connor, right, yeah, I'm like, yeah. like a warrior. I'm yeah. like this guy is. Like a little hey, shrimp man. He's, like, like, he's super skinny. He looks like he weighs like 150 pounds. Like, it's like he, this guy's hanging on by the seat of his pants. Yeah, and like yeah. I'm, tr- I'm not sure how I think how I feel about that overall. But it is a shocking difference between Connor and Duncan. Yeah. D- no question, Duncan's in that. I am like a perfect warrior. Yeah. I, I think it would have been better if maybe they delved into like that dichotomy a little more. Like we actually don't find that much out about Connor. Ever. Ever. Right, exactly. So, I mean, like, if they had set up, like, that this one this one guy is this, like... Well, they do set up that he's, like, the perfect warrior, as Ramirez eventually says. Versus this guy that, yeah, is just trying to kind of make his way for himself and, like, you know, is meek and... Like, they, they, don't, they don't set up a different, the opposite character from a cloud. He's just not that. Like, right. They don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't give it yeah. extra meaning. And which also, they could. Also, just in terms of, like, not knowing this guy, this movie has much more of, like, this noir feel... Yeah. That, yeah. like, you know, you're just dropped in. You're seeing this guy who's, like, morally, dude, I think throughout the entire movie remains morally ambiguous. Oh, sure. And. Yeah, I like that about You this. just kind of deal with him. Yeah. Like, you don't get this big expository look at him. You're just seeing the story unfold. Mm-hmm. He is, he is in a way, kind of like a Philip Marlowe-esque character, where Marlowe is kind of always plopped into a situation that he kind of deals with. And he, he does kind of walk a line of you know i'm doing this because i have to yeah kind of that's thing. that's one of the biggest trademarks of like noir is like yeah. you don't necessarily like feel for the character but right. you're like on a journey with them and like you just deal with it yeah just yeah. deal with it yeah so it creates this sharp contrast with like the mumble mouth like noir overviews that like duncan does yeah. in some of the episodes <laughs> right. of highlander while whereas he's this, meditating or <laughs> yeah which feels like weird and out of place whereas here like we are kind of in this like it's like this genre mashup it's like this fantasy noir mm-hmm. which yeah no and it, and it like which and i think i'm on board oh yeah it. totally like, totally i think that should be more of a thing maybe but it's i don't know that i've ever seen anything else that melds those two genres quite that way no there's i i would say like blade runners like, yeah and th- this this movie actually a, is a not a lot of like shots that like there's some like neon sign stuff that's like reflections and i'm like oh this is very like blade runnery noir like the uh, the wet streets like with mm-hmm. the rain i'm like this this feels like that i think i think blade runner is the closest to like but again i think two s- weird genres together like that. sci-fi noir maybe because of blade runner now are linked maybe blade runner was what blazed that trail but that's a thing that exists mm-hmm. sure and like the the trope of like the sci-fi detective is a thing yeah yeah whereas i don't know that there's a trope of like the fantasy magic noir character <laughs> like <laughs> there's no harry potter noir right yeah. so connor gets immediately stopped by the cops he like rolls out in his sweet convertible he's like pumping the brakes he's soaking wet yeah and there's a horde of police there and mm-hmm. they immediately stop him yeah and so they pull him out of his car and he's not really cooperating 
But here's something weird for people that, for new viewers who don't know anything about Highlander, they take his wallet out and they're like, oh, okay, Mr. Nash, where are you going in such a hurry? And we've already, well, I guess he could be Nash McCloud or McCloud Nash. I don't know. But it's like, is this no, confusing? No, they call him Connor. Oh, right. They in have the called him Connor. Yeah. We know right. that yeah. at least the person in the flashback is Connor McCloud. Yeah. So is this confusing to people? I, I had that same note written down. I was like, oh, like, what does this mean? Like, it's like, I guess he has two names or like, yeah. again, it's one of those sort of mysteries that's not spelled out like cl- as clearly as I think it nor- would be today. Like, mm-hmm. this would be. This is. You figure it out. Done. Yeah, you do figure it out. But Eventually. It's but a it's, mystery than the movie gives to you. I don't know. This is what I was trying very hard to, again, give myself zero information. I feel like I'm on board with this, though. Yeah. No, like, I feel like at the in the moment, I would probably get it. Maybe sure. I'm giving my cutting myself slack there, but I feel like I would get that he uses a fake name because he's immortal. Right? Yeah. So uh, these guys are super intense. Uh, this one cop who I just call, like, asshole cop. He's Garfield. Yeah. Garfield? Garfield That's is right. the name of Garfield, the cop. Garfield, yes. Yeah. He's so intense. So yeah. he questions him. Like, he's a, he's a little more violent than I think he would need to be. Right. <laughs> uh, like, he would be... If, if, if a cop today was doing that, there would be a lot of people with cell phones out recording him yeah. and putting that on YouTube. Yeah. It's not that bad. I mean, the things that get recorded and put on YouTube involve, like, people getting punched in the I head so. and stuff. But Like, he puts them up he, against the car he roughs a roughly. Him up a little. He roughs them up a little. Also, yeah. we should pause for a second and talk about the setting of this movie. Just because yeah. 21st century New York, New York in 2016, where the rents are outrageously high, it's the palace of the super rich. In 1986 New York, like, this is like the Gomorrah. This is like falling apart. Mm-hmm. Massive flight from the city. All the news reports are about how New York is tearing itself apart. The mindset and the relation to crime and things like that are different. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not forget that we're thinking about, like, movies like Escape from New York was oh, totally. made not too far before this movie, which is literally predicting in the 90s it will be a penal colony. Right. Like, there is this narrative around the city of New York and a lot of American cities about the way crime is going to literally tear it apart. Yeah. So these kinds of themes that are developed in this movie, like the Kurgan is an example of this, like, chaos reigns. Is like a theme that you see in movies from like the late 70s and the 80s mm-hmm. of just like chaos for its own sake. And this relationship with criminals is very, kind of very different than we think about it today. So just kind of put that skin yeah, on totally. the whole thing. No, I, I yeah. like your uh, your comparison to like Gamora from the Bible. Oh, more Bible references. No, yeah, we're no but I mean like uh, like Times Square before Disney bought all of it was like the... the just the, notorious. Notorious. Like, yeah. is like, uh, it's like Mos Eisley, like the, uh, the wretched... Hive of Hive scum, scum and villainy. villainy. Yeah. Like, it was all sex shops. Like, well, there's still a lot of sex shops. Well, yeah, but in, they're, they're pushed it. out further. They're pushed out a little further. Yeah. The city was, was falling apart. Like, the infrastructure of the city was collapsing. The police structure, like, nothing was going well. Uh, gang warfare, all this sort of stuff. Um, in the Bronx was a mess. So, yeah, yeah, this, this, this is a good uh, reflection of really what the times were like. And I mean, an exaggerated version of it, but... Uh, yeah. New York was not a good place to be in the 80s at all. Yeah, and it's just a thing to pause on, because here in 2016, it's a fantastic place where it's like, oh, do you make $120,000? You're middle class in New yeah. York. They're like, <laughs> at this period, it's a kind of period of darkness totally. in the city. Uh, so, do, yeah, do we want to play this clip? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's play this clip of the, uh, the cop uh, Garfield arresting Lambert. No. 
in this, these people have the cops have their guns drawn immediately. Yeah. Like for a car leaving a parking lot. Well, assuming they know that a man's been decapitated, which I don't know how they'd know that uh, that fast. Yeah. Well, I was wondering, did they think a bomb went off? That would be interesting. And yes, they should think that. <laughs> Especially if this movie was made today. Well, Mr. Nash, where were you going in such a hurry? Give me it. Give me it. Give me it. Like, he just punched him. Yeah. Yep. Like, there is no question in my mind he's going. Pal, don't even breathe. So this cop has just put a gun to this man's temple and cocked. Yep. <laughs> and cocked the, uh, the trigger back. That's insane. That is that this is guy, in this fact guy insane. is off yep. the rails. This yep. this this cop is like a maniac. One quick note about his car. So uh, Connor's driving an Aston Martin, James Bond, like quintessential yeah. vehicle. I wonder if there's a connection there. I wonder because Christopher Lambert was almost James Bond. Yeah, yeah. I like right. the shot of him driving out of the uh, the car. It was good. It's like they, they yeah. mount the camera like to the back of the car, which it's a fun shot. I don't yeah, know. it is. Uh, there are a lot of fun shots in this movie. Yeah, like yeah. they're I. I I don't know. I feel like in a lot of movies today, I don't pause often and go, oh, that's a cool shot. Yeah. Like, I feel like things are a little safer and, like, I don't know, maybe it's because of the CG aspect of things. Like, you don't stop as often and think, like, oh, they had to mount a camera to something and, like, do yeah. this whole project. Like, they just animated some shit. And in some, in some ways, I don't, I don't mean to use this, like, too disparagingly, but, like, style over substance in a lot of parts of this movie. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, there's a, there's a lot of uh, pizzazz and, like, finesse with the camera work and like what's going on like i think it i think it's used to good effect but sometimes it's like i don't know exactly what's going on here but okay like you just kind of are along for the ride yeah but again this is another moment where like for a, a fairly low budget movie this is a pretty well made production they get a lot oh, of yeah. much out of the stuff and i think yeah. a lot of that is a testament to russell mckay like mm-hmm. he was from from working on music videos like where you have again a low budget and especially the early days of music videos you you didn't have a lot of time to put this like three minute video together so like they would churn out a video in like two days and they would be working like 16 hour days and apparently when he came on to this shoot he was like in that mindset and it's like people they were working like o- over a dozen hours a day and like he had to be like have a talking to like hey like Let's cool it. Like, everyone can't handle your pace. Uh, but I think also it's used to, like, good effect. They don't have a huge budget on this. And so he's able to get, like, a lot of stuff done for not much money and time. It's like, let's just churn it out. Like, we can do it. So yeah, yeah. I think it's cool. And actually, in that shot we just uh, played the clip from, that was actually in New York, which is cool. Like, But they only spent two weeks in New York. The rest was all filmed in on London sound stages and in Scotland. So actually, based on the on the back of this the clip we just did, the camera pans to the left through the siren and it's another one of these great transitions back to scotland like this is an mm-hmm. element of the movie the show really visually picks up on the way they transition from past to present mm-hmm. and the movie just really nails it yeah like all these transitions are solid yeah they're great and uh, there's a quote from russell mckay about the transition she said he wanted it to feel like time travel like that you were actually being transported through something like through the film itself to another place and i think he does a good job because it's not just a cut like it's like you, you are, like, transported by these, like, pans and, like... Because uh, the scene doesn't change. It just pans over to a new time, essentially, which is cool. Yeah. Though it is worth noting, we have been in the present for about 90 seconds. And now we're back in the past again. 
Yes. The the cuts at this point in the movie are so fast between past and present. There's like a huge portion of the early part of this movie that's all in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we just like visit the present for like half a second. Right. If you're a Highlander fan like we are, you probably have some pretty cool Highlander swag from back in the good old Highlander heydays. But... Did you know there are brand new Highlander sword replicas available through the official Highlander Facebook page? Head over to the official Highlander Facebook page for beautiful high-quality replicas of Duncan McLeod's Musashi Samurai Sword or check out Con McLeod's beautiful Genai Samurai. Handles are made with a nearly unbreakable Kevlar carbon compound and are complete with all the detail you remember from the Highlander film and television series. The handmade katana blades were created using high-carbon steel. The blades are heat-tempered, then water-quenched for a consistent hardness, and then adorned with a Hammond-tempered line to create a truly awesome display sword and tribute to the Highlander franchise. Stop on by the official Highlander Facebook page to order your Highlander swords today. It's sundown at the castle, and there's some uh, sad bagpipe music playing. So this is a post-battle. They they managed to get out in one shape or form. Right. Connor, not so much. He's yeah. lying on a bed, just dying. Yeah. Uh, and so they're over him, and I, I guess they, they've kind of come to the realization they can't do anymore. Yeah, which, at this point, that priest from earlier now has his hood off. He's got, like, a mohawk? Yeah, what is yeah, going on yeah. here? It's an insane look for this man. <laughs> yep. So and and his uh, girlfriend that we saw earlier give him give him the flowers and the European cut our director's cut uh, she's back and she's crying over him for losing him mm-hmm. uh, but it also should be noted that there's like lightning like apparently this this scene was actually supposed to take place outside uh, but it was pouring and so they decided to do it inside uh, but again there's like they actually set it with a storm and there's lightning flashes and so there's this electricity element again and at this point I was actually thinking I wonder what the stigma is between like electricity and like life and all this sort of stuff it, it kind of reminded me of frankenstein i was like oh there's another kind of like mm. myth that is like the the dead are risen by electricity and like that gives them new life and i was like oh there's kind of this that's that's certainly something that's in the the zeitgeist of returning from the dead yeah I, I, yeah i guess that's what i'm trying to say i love now the transition back to the present this is one of my favorites like you're seeing his body and then all of a sudden you get a bunch of flashes and then you come which to is the lightning yeah. I guess it's, it's the lightning, lightning in there and then it transitions to the present and those same flashes are going on on Facile's body but now it's the police taking right. their camera, pictures yeah. the camera flashes on his body this is like that's really a gem that's really a good. really good shot but again we were now in the past for how long do you think we were there a minute yeah and now we're yeah. back to the present again like the kind of fluidity between the periods is is cool and it, and also i was trying to take note like there definitely seems to be like a connection between the two like they're they're almost kind of going in tandem with each other like we get the battle in the beginning which is like the wrestling match slash sword fight then we are transitioned to the battlefield and like so, so like they're, they're always kind of connected and then like you said kyle there's this flashback to the death of connor and then there's the flash forward, and it's the death of Fazil. Like, so they're always kind of related, I think, in some manner. Then this scene happens, and there's some very odd dialogue and choices around this future scene. So we're about to meet the love interest. Brenda! Brenda. Brenda J. Wyatt. <laughs> so we also meet the, uh, this bald cop, who John Polito is the actor's name. Yeah. I think he's 
maybe he's got a lot of imdb credits too yeah but i think the role that i was most familiar with he is the other private detective in the big lebowski yeah right (laughs) you know the the thing i remember him from a lot is the rocketeer oh yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, what's he maloney or what he's like the gangster i forget his name now in that uh yeah he's the one gangster in that but he's in a ton. He's in t- he's in Miller's Crossing. He plays a major role in that movie. The Coen Brothers use him a lot. Tons. Yeah, I, I looked actually uh, for research for this movie. I was like, oh, is he also in uh, the new movie Hail Caesar, which is also with Christoph Lambert and mm. uh, Clancy Brown? Because I was like, that would be amazing because yeah. they use him all the time. Sadly, he's not. Uh, that'd be three bummer. people from this yeah. movie that are reunited. Uh, but we're introduced to this character. He goes, "You look pretty, Brenda." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this scene definitely sets up like. They, the cops have like no respect for her. Yeah. I would say both as a, a a scientist and a woman, like mm-hmm. because they make some sexist remarks. Like they're they're not into her at all. Mm. No, they're into her too much. Oh, okay, yeah. it's yeah, weird. Yeah. It. yeah, she's chewing not them as a out. human being, but as an object. Yeah, right. she's chewing them out because she's in forensics. They didn't call her first, so right. They they might be mucking things up here. And then Garfield, who's an asshole, is like, "Oh, what do you think the uh, cause of death is?" Which I actually thought was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one came obviously... disassembled. <laughs> and they introduced something interesting that apparently in North Jersey earlier, like mm-hmm. someone else was decapitated. Right. Right. So that's interesting. So like the game is ongoing, and like other people are participating in it, and assumably like the Kurgan killed somebody in North Jersey, and like right. Hoboken the other day. <laughs> So then Brenda also inquires if they've arrested somebody, which they have, mm-hmm. Nash or Connor, and that he's an antiques dealer. And Brenda finds a sword. How does nobody notice this? I know. Yeah. It's just like there's just a gorgeous, like, gem-encrusted like <laughs> yeah. sword. As we find out later, is a Toledo Salamanca, or yeah. as I wrote down in my notes, a Toledo Salami. <laughs> <laughs> like, she just sees it. Uh, she finds what she reveals to be a million-dollar broadsword. Yep, and she knows what this sword is by sight. So right. that's another interesting tidbit on her character. Yeah, I'll just mention a tidbit on the Toledo Salamanca. Is this a real sword? Oh, it's not at all. <laughs> like, so yeah. this is like uh, it's 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 an inside joke. So Toledo refers to the source of the hilt of the sword. Uh, it was made in Spain by one of the large manufacturers there of like swords, and then the blade was made by Doctor Jim Risulis who owns Salamander Armory. So Salamanca is Salamander in Spanish. So they just named it after where they got the pieces from the sword. Uh, and I believe, actually, they got a lot of swords for, for the TV show, I think, from that Spanish producer as well. Hmm. I think he, they were the people that made some of them. Neat. There's your little Toledo Salamanco trivia, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's worth noting that the other lead detective from this, who the only other notable IMDb credit I had from this guy was that he was in Police Squad. Oh, Alan North. Yeah. Yeah. So every time he's in this this movie, I can't help but think of Police Squad because he is the, like, sergeant or whatever in, yeah. in that show. Uh, if you haven't seen Police Squad, totally watch it. It's the best. It's what Wesley the, Nielsen. It's what, yeah, the Naked mm. Gun movies are based on. It's only six episodes, uh, but each one of them is gold. Uh, mm. On his way to go discover, see this sword that Brenda notices and no one else does, yeah, he, like, he trips on the body. Yeah. <laughs> Does he spill his coffee on it? Yeah, yeah. that's what he's upset about. Yeah. Like, he's not upset that he just kicked a corpse. He's upset that he spilled a little coffee. Yeah, like is he is he included in our our, our running uh, tab of police officers? We got Bennett. We got Stars. Stars. Stars for life. That's actually what Keith has tattooed on his knuckles. Yep. <laughs> what do you think you're in, Beirut? 
the the cops are forming this theory now that uh you know since nash mcleod is an antiques dealer this is an antique deal gone extremely right. bad <laughs> this is high stakes antiquing right here folks well, it's a million dollar sword like yeah. that's it's a lot of money that is a lot of money and i was actually very curious if i was like oh, are swords worth a million dollars there are some swords worth a million dollars i don't know that from that period it's like ancient chinese weapons worth a million dollars but no. you know it can get up there in price mm. so we're now in the police station, and we get this kind of amazing interrogation. Yeah. Uh, this is on a, a whole other level. Yep. So first they ask, they, they, they show him a picture of, we don't see who this is, but it's presumably the person that was decapitated in New Jersey. Yeah. And so, of course, they bash Jersey, because every movie has yep. to bash Jersey. You ever way. get to Jersey, Nash? Not if I can help it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so then they're like... We are presently recording this in New Jersey. Yes. Cheers to New Cheers. Jersey. So they're like, you talk funny. Well, it's also... This is interesting. This is the very first scene that Connor recorded with that, like, that he recorded. So... This is also the first time Connor says a full sentence. Yes. So yeah. his, his accent is insane. So yep. let's talk a little bit... We didn't talk about this when we introduced, I guess, Christophe Lambert in our introductions of the character, but he was born in New York. Yeah. But, like, he was not an American citizen because he was, I think his father was a diplomat or something. Yes, his father is a diplomat. a French diplomat. So that, but he grew up in, like, France and Switzerland. Uh, so anyway, he, he has an extremely strange accent yep. to begin with. And when they hired him for this movie, they just assumed he spoke English. And he, and he doesn't it, speak right? any of it. Like, the fact that this is the very first scene they recorded... Like, his accent in this scene in particular is, like, even more weird, I think, uh, than in other parts of this movie. Because he is, like, grasping it. Like, this is all phonetically spoken. But they kind of write it. They're like, oh, you talk funny. And he's like, they're like, where are you from? And he's like, lots of different places. I think that's a really clever thing. I mean, it's, like, kind of bullshit. But it's like, oh, like, okay, fine. Yeah. I, I, I'm okay with that, I think. Like, well, that makes sense within the rules of this world. He said in his dialogue coaching that they tried to develop an accent that was non-specific. I guess this counts as that. I, I call, don't know. I call bullshit on that. I yeah. think that's something they told to everyone that asked that question. Mm. I don't buy that that was their attempt. Like that, this is just what came out. This is. I think it? this is what yeah. came out of that, and they were like, "Well, it sounds non-specific, so we'll go with that." Yeah. It's like I'm okay with all of that, but I don't think this was like intentionally like let's try to get a, like a weird accent because I think that's a cool idea. Yeah. I don't. I don't buy that. That's what they were trying to do. So Nash is not the guy from New Jersey, or he has no idea. Uh, what the deal is with that. Um, so then, I love this. So the detective, Alan North, uh, whose name is Frank, which his last name is Moran. I was like, is his name Moron? Like, is that <laughs> like yeah. he's a moron? Frank Moran, he shows him a sword. And he's like, do you have any idea what this is? And Lambert's like, a sword? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> it's pretty great. Uh, although, we'll talk about this more as we get to know the character throughout the movie. But like, I, I find they have a hard time kind of characterizing him like i'm not sure like in this scene he is like a complete smart ass yeah slash like he's kind of a dick like you know mm -hmm. what i mean like i'm not sure what he is and perhaps part of that's part of the performance like that the smart assery kind of comes off as a little like just weird and dickish and like strange it feels like the the, the way the dialogue is written he should be more han solo than like creepy man like well no so i think he is like, the, the character is that he's, like, a rascal. I think that's supposed to be, like, part of this thing. Like, he's more Han Solo than anything else. 
and like that's who he's supposed to be the movie doesn't really give this character a lot of chances to sing Mm -hmm. and i think one of the things that's fascinating is that seeing this movie like three times in preparation for this gave me more of an appreciation for the pilot of the series, The Gathering. Because I honestly think you have a stronger sense of who this character is from the pilot than you do from this entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you really do. And in the pilot, it's clear that Connor's a hero. Mm -hmm. In this, not really. No. Not so much. But in that, like, it's clear that his he has like a goal his goal yeah. is to hunt down evil immortals to mm-hmm. make sure that someone evil doesn't win the prize and that's his right. thing like it's clear that he's like kind of a joker and a rascal and a romantic and mm-hmm. like that's his personality that's really not necessarily clear in this mm-hmm. i think yeah. this scene is probably the most character building we get from this character yeah and it's like kind of odd but i kind of buy it like right but i think this is honestly what they wanted and it doesn't yeah. necessarily sing elsewhere. It's hard. It's hard to like. I, I didn't know watching this like how to know like how to react because again like our only like views of this character are him like beheading someone. Yeah. Him resisting arrest. Like mm-hmm. like at, he, at this point in the series. And now he's funny, and it's like, oh, is he funny? Like, is he the funny character? Yeah. Like, I, am I supposed to be like? You're throwing a bunch of different images of this guy. We just don't get enough character development for him to truly be anything in this movie. Yeah. yeah. But. I think it's very true that at this point in this movie, we've seen him behead a guy, mm-hmm. we've seen him be stabbed, and we've seen him punch a cop. Yeah. That's all we've seen <laughs> yeah. him do. We've seen him do those three things. So I don't know how we're supposed to feel about him at any given point in yeah. time. Right. But I think he's funny in this scene. Yeah. 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 So they're, they're, they, they have the, the police have this theory that this is a antique steel gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I like Connor's theory, which is like, let me tell you my theory. Is that yeah. this guy saw a bunch of shitty wrestling and decided to kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> Chop really off his own like, head. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think they kind of nail this they nailed what they the voice of this character was supposed to be in this scene. Yeah. And I don't know that they nail it again for the rest of the movie. But I'm on board for seeing this guy in this moment. Yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. But then... A third <laughs> theory. Yeah. So... Uh, we can play. Should we play this little clip? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, I just don't want to say the words that are used in this scene. So, you faggot, Nash. Why, Cornfield? You cruising for a piece of ass? I'll tell you what happened, Russell. You went down to the garage for a blowjob. Just didn't want to pay for it. Huh? You are sick. So, other hallmark of older movies is saying... The F word. Yeah, what is now the F word? Because fuck is no longer the F word. Two things. I I love this scene. Uh, Like, we've talked about some noir elements. And it's like, this feels very noir to me. Like, questioning. Like, this is is classic noir stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also, just in terms of, like, we're obviously dancing around, like, the fact that this scene's, like, a little bit offensive today... A lot, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, this is a fa- this this, this would this would not be in a movie today, yeah. not because of any sort of rating thing, but it would just be like, no, we're yeah. just like, nope, nobody would be writing this scene, uh, or if they did, it would be because they're trying to illustrate how like that the cop is bigoted. The cop is the pe- biggest piece of shit, yeah. in the like the cop is now the biggest villain in this movie. Right. As, as opposed to being kind of like a neutral character, yeah, which the cops are in this. So. But it's worth hanging a lantern on like interesting point in time. 
how okay this was. Absolutely. And, like, the level of fear around this is also not too long after kind of the emergence in the public perception of AIDS and things like that mm-hmm. and the stigmas that that created. So, I don't know, just in terms of a moment in cinema, Definitely. it's worth pausing to, like, see this is almost the, the cultural zeitgeist mm-hmm. around this. Because I don't think this is out of lockstep with anything going on in the mid-'80s. No. Mm-hmm. Not even a little bit. Like, if you've seen Eddie Murphy's stand-up routine from this period. Oh, like, boy. Yeah. yeah Ugh, you know, like, boy. This was <laughs> within the median yeah. Of, yeah. of what's going on. So... That's interesting. Mm-hmm. But why does the punching start? Like this Because guy, he calls him gay. You, why Garfield, you cruising for a piece of ass. Yeah, but then the follow-up, the moment that precedes the punching is he just goes, you're sick. And then and it, it goes right for punching. It's like, I almost felt like there was a missing bit of dialogue. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, this is also a cop that put a gun to his head and yeah. cocked it. Well, like, the, whole, <laughs> the whole scene, too, Garfield and uh, Mac are exchanging weird stares and glances and garfield can't keep his gaze with mcleod which so, i don't think i could do that with christopher Lambert either. yeah no yeah like mcleod is like staring daggers into garfield and garfield can't stand up to him yeah, yeah. So. which is cool I yeah mean, that's it a cool is. moment but then mac goes like right for a kidney punch, yeah yeah and then he punches polito yeah yep. like he punches two cops yeah in and polito flies across the room <laughs> yeah. like so so when he's like, am I under arrest? The answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're under arrest. No, they let him go. Like, yeah. what reality is this? So well, I guess they don't want him to sue the cops. Because this guy obviously had no business trying to take a, Garfield had no business trying to take a swing at him. Yeah. One interesting thing I wanted to note about this scene is in the script, he goes into the garage for a hand job. <laughs> <laughs> and in the movie, they change it to a blow job. Also, the way he says blow job. <laughs> Blammer jammer. Yeah, a blammer jammer. You went to the garage for a blammer jammer. <laughs> uh, I also have another thing to add to this scene. I'm going to be sprinkling in these other interpretations of this movie, and I'll, I'll recap all this at the end. But another thing I thought was interesting here, uh, again, we've seen a little bit of what could be construed as like gay subtext. Uh, in this scene, the shitty cop is like, what are you, uh, F-word? And Connor does not say no that at all and i was like huh interesting there's no denial of that in this scene and i was like interesting if we're gonna read it in this homoerotic subtext that might mean something i just don't buy it that much because we see him with three separate female love interests oh i know but again there's different views of what this movie could mean under the surface and so i'm just gonna point it out along the way that's all Hey, fellow rewatchers, thanks again for joining us for our second installment of our Highlander Motion Picture Podcast. Join us next week for episode three as we delve even further into the Highlander mythology when we talk about the Kurgan sword design, Michael Kamen's score, Scotch, and a lot more. Thanks again for listening. See you next week. We've been your rewatchers, Keith, Kyle, and Eamon. Bye. No. Uh, I mean, Sorry, we can't... We, we're over, because I'm cutting that. Yeah. I mean, we, we can talk about that if you want, but, like...